Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. It's so warm, is it not? Um, what was the photo you just sent me? How many degrees was it? That you, oh. Was it 42? It feels like 42 with the humidity. It feels like 42, yeah. It's actually 36, but that's Tokyo temperature. And this is early July, people. Yeah. So we're experiencing a bit of warmth. Yeah. We're in Tokyo, up here in Iwaki. We're not quite as hot as you, as I always say. 31, crikey. Yeah, it's pretty warm for where you are. 30 feels like 37. Oh, my goodness. Well, goodness me. I notice there's a lot of people, you know, if they're in the convenience store at the moment, they sort of hang and wait. And then if it's right near my one, one of mine is right near a crossing, pedestrian crossing. So people hold inside the convenience (laughs) store before. (laughs) And then they rush out. Yeah, then they all run out and grab the shade again. But there's all these little techniques you learn in in Mm. summertime in Japan to actually cope. Yeah. Get your umbrella. Luckily, the other day I was given a a, a gift, which was a thing around your neck that you soak with water. And even just that can actually help you to cool you down. Totally. A little necktie from one of my buddies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like one thing. Wet, what did you say just a then? A wet cloth on around your neck is so cool. A wet cooling. cloth, and you said a sun umbrella. That's like your portable shade. Huge, huge difference in having. It's a not sun embarrassing to have one in Japan either. People no. do have them everywhere. Even men, yep, have them. I saw um, a guy with one yesterday in uh, Harajuku. It was quite surprising, but I saw him. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I was on duty for baseball over the weekend, and I had you know a parent who was in the starting stages of heat stroke that i was looking after and i was like crikey and i was like what did he do wrong and the thing was i think he'd just been drinking water Uh, water i was going to ask you that yeah it's not enough what's in your drink bottle and he's like water i'm like "Mm -mm. you need water and some kind of salt or mugi cha seems to be the magical drink that it is this sweet tea that people drink here Hmm. that has a lot of minerals in it ah, that's that it, keeps what you it feeling well hmm. um the kids are all had mugi cha in there they're like they've got these like massive two liter thermos bottles that they bring along um but this parent only <laughs> was drinking water i'm like dude you've got to have some salt candy here get this into you yeah cool salt candy is great to cool isn't down. It? Uh, yeah very yeah. very very dangerous so yeah that's the second case of heat stroke i've dealt with in the last week well that's in your area i mean it is a little cooler where you are overall so that's really surprising to hear and we just really need to be careful i mean here am i thinking of well not thinking of it is actually happening a visit to new zealand the other side of the temperature scale (laughs) i'm a little concerned what my body's going to do with this Mm -hmm. reaction from hot to cold and i think that's really important that we keep tabs on ourselves yeah so not only the clothing we're wearing and the keeping well watered or well heated if it might i can't even say that word right now but yes well heated wherever you are but also just be careful and know that people are probably at the end of their tether at the moment even though Mm. summer's only started yeah and that's the thing summer has just started our bodies have not adjusted yet our brains are struggling with looking into the future and going holy crap there's three months of this still to go before it starts to cool down again maybe so yeah I may yeah. have had a small panic attack about that this morning. <laughs> yes, yeah. I will get a little reprise, but also just, yeah, let's be careful. Let's be kind, knowing that people are probably frazzled, like mm. literally. Mm. Yeah. And if you're coming, I, I've actually heard that a lot of people are planning to come to Japan this summer. Really? Because there's such a pent-up demand for people to come to Japan. Ooh. Mm, yeah. So make sure you got your salt candies or your sports drink on you because that will literally save you from potentially having a heat exhaustion situation on your hands, which is not fun. Not yeah. fun at all. Mm. Goodness me. There you go. You got the warnings for the weather uh, on your way here. And a good Jandals episode always covers a little bit of the weather. You know that. <laughs> like to keep you up to date. All the latest happening in Japan. But we also have a great episode today. Who is on our show today, Catherine? Well, we're t- talking with Mel Barber, and Mel is Managing Director at uh, NEC in New Zealand. She got that position just after 18 months starting with them. She was originally in their field delivery. Her love language is talking all about 
tech and, tech and digging holes digging and cables and, and pieces <laughs> of things. So she joined NEC from another company where she did uh, fiber cabling for remote mm. New Zealand. And uh, it's a really great story that she tells us. We had the chance, Jane and I, to meet her uh, in Beppu last year at the JNZBC conference. And so we wanted to catch up, hear what's going on in the tech business, and also just hear her fresh tips for how you deal across cultures in mm. this business that she's in. It was really, really fun. Yeah, she's working in NEC in New Zealand. Japanese company how does that work with being a Japanese company but being in New Zealand very very interesting discussion we hope you enjoy it kia ora Mel welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast great to have you on the show today and kia ora it's lovely to see you both again yeah so we will start with our warm-up question for you when you are visiting Japan what is the must-buy item that you take home to New Zealand? I know you've been to Japan a couple of times and you I think you had a souvenir list when you were here last time of things your family wanted. I did. So my daughter actually lived in Sendai for a year when she was 15. So as soon as she knew I was going over in November, which was actually my, my first time ever in Japan, uh, I did get quite a long laundry list, mainly just snack items from 7-Eleven. So it was literally just all the different chocolate, everything she couldn't get that she'd been craving um, over there. Funnily enough, the noodles that we got at the conference in Beppu uh, that I may have forgotten mm -hmm. to declare when I came back into New Zealand. Um, they were delicious, so I would actually make an effort to hunt those down. Oh, the noodles! Time. They yeah. were special noodles, weren't they? they I remember they were now. Special, mm. yes, really good. I did have to give up half of them to my daughter, and ah. they went back to flat in Dunedin. But uh, mm -hmm. definitely worth being on the lookout for next time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Something special about them, though. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, yeah. I think it was they... one of the ingredients. It's, it'll come to me at three o'clock this morning. <laughs> okay. And be like, that's what it was. And we'll be very relieved when we get that message. You've, you've solved that mystery for us. Thank We've you. We've been awake the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, what do you bring back from New Zealand? What's a oh, from must... New Zealand? I thought yeah. you were going to ask me from Japan. What do I take back when I no, go back to New Zealand? No, what do you bring oh. back from New Zealand? That's a must bring back to Japan mm. when you come back. Ooh, I used to always bring back chocolate items and licorice, and I mm. think I still bring a little bit of licorice, but I guess I love bringing back some of the really fancy peanut butters that are around Ooh, in yes. New Zealand that you just can't get in Japan at all, right? Peanut butter in Japan is sweet, often just smooth or crunchy, but New Zealand has got this amazing range now, right? Uh, is it fogs, figs? Fogs and then yeah, then there's there just seems to be a new one every yeah. including peanut butter for your dogs. <laughs> wow, there you go. Excellent. Low but salt, it's the I'm ones sure. That have got mm. everything in there, like all the nuts and all the bits and pieces. So I love that. I don't have a lot of it, but when I want a treat, then that's mm. what I'll probably buy. I know after we finish recording, Jane, I'm gonna go, I should have said something else, but I thought you were going to ask me what I take from Japan to New Zealand. <laughs> Which is what, Catherine, I'll let you say. Okay, thank you. thought about it. <laughs> no, no, it was because I've been asked to bring back some really, really brilliant, gorgeous sake this time. And I thought, where am I going to find out about great sake to take home? And, of course, I went on and uh, talked to Wayne Shannon, who's one of our guests on the yes. podcast, and asked him for his very expert opinion. So I've got the top list now of what to go and buy. Oh, wow. I just you wanted to, to say that. Can you share that with me? Because yeah, <laughs> I would like to surprise sure. a certain someone in my family with some special sake. Okay, I will do that. Mm. Well, how about you, Jane? If you were going back to New Zealand, mm. what would you take? And then vice versa, what would you bring back here? Okay, um, well, curry roux, the curry sauce that you can make curry with. I always take that back because it's like $10 for a box in, in New Zealand and yeah and also um takenoko no sato which is the baby bamboo shoot can uh like cookies with chocolate thing oh so it's I know. bamboo shoot it's called takenoko no sato there's also one called kinoko no yama which is the 
mushroom mountain ones. So mushrooms and like, they, they're, <laughs> they're actually chocolate, right? But they're chocolate yeah. and cookies, but they're shaped and they're like, in the shape, yeah. like a bamboo. In yeah, a but bamboo. I prefer yeah. the takenoko no sato, which okay. is very, very tasty. Um, that's the take back. And to bring back from New Zealand, underpants and Vegemite. <laughs> not together, right? But yeah. Not, not together, no, but a supply of underpants and a lot of Vegemite, yes. Okay. We love a good uh, Vegemite on toast here with my uh, oh, wow. Kiwi kids here. Well, here we go. Now we know our passions. So I'll, I'll put some Vegemite in the suitcase when I come back. Oh, uh, if you don't mind, shortly. we will welcome any extra <laughs> supply for our stash of Vegemite. Well, there's the warm up, right? We're really so warm <laughs> over here. We don't need any more warming up. It's the middle of summer for us in Japan. But Mel, welcome to the show. You're managing director for NEC New Zealand. You were appointed to that role just 18 months into working with them. We're so excited to have you back. We say back because we saw you in uh, Beppu at the Japan New Zealand Business Council meeting in November. And I'd seen you before. Uh, I think when we were in Auckland, but hadn't really got to have the chats that we did when we were in uh, Beppu in November. We wanted to bring you back, talk about how things are going with your work with NEC, and also just you know some insights perhaps from the conference that you gained when you were there. So we'll put your full bio into the show notes, but give us a little background there before NEC, where you came from and all of that so that our listeners can hear where you've been in Aotearoa and uh, your work today. Cool. So I didn't really follow a, a particularly traditional route. So I had my daughter three weeks before I turned 21. Um, so she's now doing honours at Otago, uh, studying migraines of all things, mm. uh, and, and never really had that path. And it's really interesting seeing her and she's so sure of what she wants to do and this is what I'm going to study and this is how it goes. And I've always been a bit like... I don't know. I'm sure it'll come. I've just spent most of my career actually in telecommunications and probably still at heart consider myself a bit more of a, a utilities girl rather than a than a tech girl. So quite happy talking about, you know, directional drilling and trenching and fibre testing and all of those fun things. That's my it's my happy place if I've got to talk about work stuff. Uh, and my last role there was actually leading a fibre rollout to all the little small towns. And it was cool. It was nice to be able to to give back. You know, you, you were bringing connectivity to these these tiny little towns. So if you're thinking from Christchurch, places like Leithfield and Leithfield Beach, mm. and like genuinely changing those communities' ways yeah. of being able to connect with the world. It was a really cool. It was a cool role to have, and yeah, nice to be able to make a genuine genuine difference. Yeah. Um, and then you moved to moved to NEC to to look after there field force and it all became a bit of a a whirlwind after that to be fair wow what drew you to NEC from where you were because as you say they're different different areas of work so what brought you in there so I was definitely ready for a change so as much as I don't ever plan my career which I keep thinking I must must get onto that at some point (laughs) um it, it was time, I was like, I got to the point where my project was just ticking over and everyone was, you know, health and safety was good and the client was happy and we wouldn't more work. And I was kind of like, well, I've stopped making a difference, right? I've stopped figuring out ways of how to make this better. And so I was like, ready for my new challenge. To be fair, looking after the kind of field force at NEC was was different enough to be a challenge, but still enough the same to feel that that little bit safe. I'd been at my last company for 12 years, so it was a big, mm. big thing to to change. And I think NEC still got that that ethos, right? Like we've got some really cool technology that's actually genuinely just cool, but we've also do a lot to genuinely make people's lives better. Like we work in health, we're developing vaccines using AI. We've got a really cool program um, in third world countries where we adapted our fingerprint technology so that young kids can have their fingerprints done so they know when they're due for their next vaccine. Mm. And so it's kind of like actually it's still a company that like some of it's just really cool and would make, you know, makes my life easier, but there's actually still that, that part of being at a company that, that wants to actually improve the world in a, in a genuine sense, you know, not just a kind of tagline on, on the website somewhere. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I was thinking, now, what does NEC do these days? Because I was thinking, do they make computers? And so I had to go and educate myself. But tell us a little bit more about that. You've just given us a, a little taster there of some of the cool things that NEC is doing. I think I'd probably been at NEC for six months before, like every week I wasn't going, really? NEC do that? Mm. What, what do you, NEC, NEC do what? So if you're looking at it from a New Zealand sense, um, the old telephone exchanges that used to have a person sitting in it and put it in there, NEC actually manufactured and then installed and maintained all of the switching equipment that went into went into all the phone exchanges. So before there was Chorus and Spark, there was Telecom, and before that there was a New Zealand post office. So we started in New Zealand in 1999 as NEC, but literally putting these big pieces of equipment into, into telephone exchanges mm -hmm. to automate it, uh, we do a lot of work in biometrics, but the good biometrics, right? Like there's a bit of a, you say biometrics, and people go, oh my gosh, it's Big Brother. You're watching. What are you, what are you getting about us? <laughs> what are you doing it, with my data? Yeah. <laughs> but it's the good biometrics and it's the opt-in technology and the, you know, self-sovereign data. So you own all of your data. Uh, smart transport's another big thing we do here in New Zealand. And then, so that's putting the driver device bus, like units on buses, so when a bus says it's four minutes away, it's actually four minutes away. Nice. As it through. It's yeah. like, could be four, it could be two. Could be half an hour. <laughs> but, just, but then, you know, wider field, we do a lot in that research space. Mm. We also do submarine cables. So NEC is actually one of the largest companies that do the large submarine cables, the actual physical dropping a cable, you know, kilometres through the sea and then mm. switching it on on either side so it's you don't every time you sit there and go you need to talk about this in NEC there's something we do so it's it's kind of cool there's a heap of opportunity out there amazing, amazing. yeah does it feel very Japanese in NEC New Zealand or is it more New Zealand than Japan is there a Japan flavor in the in the company there yeah. I was amazed when I started just how autonomous we actually are in New Zealand. And it is, it's that really nice balance. So my last company, and I believe it's changed now, was run out of Australia. And it was all you went to Australia to to do anything. So like literally I want to put someone on a training course that had to go back to Australia. This is this is really autonomous. We set our budgets working really closely with the business units in Japan so that everybody's all aligned, we're all on the same page. They're there as a really good help and support mechanism to be able to say, actually, we, you know, give it, give us some strategy. What's the solution? Can we do this? Can we do that? But actually, they're pretty happy to let us do our own thing and build relationships here and just do what's right for our local market as opposed to saying, actually, just because we do this in Japan, you must do it in, you know, right. you must do submarine mm -hmm. cables in New Zealand. I mean, it'd be a pretty small <laughs> market, probably, probably struggle. A little. So. Perhaps, yes, right. Yeah. But do you have people from head office coming down to New Zealand quite a bit, people from the board? Do you have audits? Do you have any of the staff coming from the different business units visiting you? A lot more now. So now we're getting back in the groove of things post-COVID. Post uh, I believe Dr Endo's actually, who's the chairman of the NEC board, is actually going to make it to the JNZBC conference this year in November. So that'll be nice to, to mm. meet him bit of a failed attempt in Bikpu as he was ill so there's more of that we're also getting a lot more globalized we've got someone in our team who's actually a Kiwi but reports into Japan but works out of our Wellington office and so there's a lot more of that that's starting to to filter through where you can live anywhere but actually report into into Japan we'll have our, our global global folk come out and see us in I think October was the latest time frame so right not 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 hugely, but a lot more. Oh, now. They've kind of gone, oh, COVID's over, actually. Let's have, I think there's probably about seven different conferences for different people across the business uh, happening in the next next three months. So Incredible. Because when you joined, it was during COVID, right? And you joined as, I know, you were the head of the field delivery and then you were the general manager of field delivery. But then in this 18-month span, you just got an promoted up to general manager what were your aspirations at that time when you joined the business and how have things developed then so I mean you joined in yeah. 2020 right but when you actually went up to GM things changed don't they so what happened and what did you want to do with it because you talked about before about making a difference 
Yeah, and so we, I came, it was in the middle of one of our big lots. We'd had the first lockdown. It was before the the second one, which was which was pretty horrendous if you're in Auckland because it lasted that much longer and it rained the whole time um, is how it felt at the time. But it was about, so NEC New Zealand was the field type force at the time. Most of them had been here since 1999, right? And they were the guys that would give you the shirt off their backs. They would do anything to... You know, if there was a fault, they'd be there at three o'clock in the morning until it was fixed, right? But they weren't particularly good at embracing some of the the good things that technology could bring and just ways of doing things smarter. Things were still quite manual. And let's, you know, I remember saying to someone, well, how do you train somebody when they start? And they're like, we just train them. And I was like, yeah, but how do you know that they're competent? He's like, well, we'll just know when they are. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but <laughs> so it was really good nice. point. Yeah. Good questions, right? <laughs> Great questions. Just to training them up, and they're like, "So right, I've seen Catherine do that a few times now. She'll be fine." So it was just kind of putting a bit more structure and a bit more kind of moving things forward without losing the essence of of who they are, you know. And we've still got guys in our Wellington office that have been there, been here since nineteen ninety nine. Uh, person that does biometrics for us. Basically, he's been doing biometrics since biometrics was even a, a twinkle in somebody's eye. It was probably a twinkle in Glenn's eye, to be fair. <laughs> wow, to work somewhere since 1999. I'm trying to think of all the things I've done since then. But that's amazing, isn't it? It's sort of dedication. There's a reason why people stay at, at firms and yeah. companies, though, too, right? Our Wellington office in particular, because that's where the, the bulk of our people are. So there's about 45 right. people at the Wellington office. The culture down there is phenomenal. You know, we've got the football team that go out every week and play indoor football, a really active social club. And it's just more sausage rolls mm. than you can say. <laughs> There's always an excuse for someone to be making sausage rolls when I when I go down, but it's it's a really cool atmosphere. It's, and it's a nice culture. Wow. So you visited Japan last uh, November when you came over for the JNCBC and you were able to have your first visit with, the Japan office. What were some of the differences you sort of, or not differences, but what were some of the interesting things you noted as a New Zealander coming to visit kind of head office? Other than uh, the security guard having to use his fingerprint to call the lift to get to the CEO's office. Wow. I was like, oh, I've gone into like a James Bond film, put something in no one's <laughs> um, It's probably still that, that sense of, you know, the hierarchical nature of it so one of the the senior vps came down to meet the finance team and i just found a spot on the floor somewhere and i was just doing some work and just the awe that people had because someone from senior management had come down and was taking the time to to speak to them and to find out more about them and to build those relationships with them whereas in new zealand you know i, I walk into the office and in, in wellington when i go to visit and i get a hi hi you know it, it's just it's quite different seeing that that, that different working culture where there, if you're a senior manager, you're still almost that little bit removed from a number of the people. But they've made a big change there. I think they went from nine levels of organisation structure down to five so they could break that down so that people that never felt they could have a voice with senior management can actually start being able to to get their views heard and, you know, because they've got some amazing ideas. So that was probably the biggest, the biggest difference, I think, that and how empty the office was. So it was when things were still quite restricted due to COVID. So you know, every second seat was still, still blocked off, but there was probably 20% of people back in the office at the time on a, on a good day. Whereas we'd started to come, come in a lot more and actually, and realise we actually quite like seeing each other in a in an office environment again. How many days were you there for? Not long, only three days. Did you um, have to do some presentations or they did presentations to you? Because often the I, presentation situation can be quite different between New Zealand and Japan. Yes, I, say. I did. So I had someone from NEC Australia who we closely aligned with. You've got to do this, but you've got to take a PowerPoint over. And I had meetings after meetings after meetings. My EA, bless you, made sure I had a gap after each meeting just so I could find my next meeting room just because it's such a massive office and I'm like okay where am I going until <laughs> the one I found out the meeting was actually down the road I was like oh, I know where I'm going this is perfect I can find floor and I was like oh it's a whole different building um, so I did this <laughs> amazing powerpoint 
and I split it all up for all the matrix. I don't actually think I opened it once. Uh, it was more just that relationship building and being able to to speak to people and get to know them. And a lot of people, you know, you'd connected with via Teams or Zoom or emails and actually be able to have a, a face-to-face conversation was, it was nice and it's helped helped going forward. You know, you've got that relationship to be able to draw on. It's funny, you had to go down the road to the meeting. <laughs> it's that big. Well, I don't know why because there's no one in the office. I was like, don't you they know, have two offices though? I feel they've got two offices, like there's one in one section then across the road and down the road a little bit towards the hotel there's a hotel I feel like they've got the second office there they do and yeah. they've also got another office slightly further away where oh, a lot of the, their wireless team kind of live over there because I was like, can't see wireless I was like I don't even know where that is because of wireless yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not even try and find that. is that but is that yeah. absolutely like a risk mitigation thing like if one building too. gets knocked out then we have could this be. other building and or like we could you know function could from be. this it or could be the secret plan it could be, or it might have, like, I think possibly pre-COVID when everybody was in the office, you know, five days a week, they probably got to the point where they actually we've got this whole new world of, of smart transportation. We better find them a home. Oh, there's nowhere really for them. We'll we'll pop them down the road a little bit. And it is only kind of 200 metres away, um, which is quite good when you're rushing down a, a city, you've, you know, a street in a city you've never been to before. But it was only, I think it was kind of that overflow type, mm. type where they just, couldn't all fit because everybody was in the office five yeah, days all the time. Away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all day long. <laughs> so you, you talked about hierarchy and, and meetings and getting to know people. What else has being in a Japanese company taught you about business etiquette and sort of the differences perhaps between how you might do something in New Zealand and when you're on the ground here with, with Japanese people and dealing with them directly? Has there been any things that have come up for you in that way? I think a lot of it is being conscious that even though, you know, so English is our global language at NEC and, you know, so many Japanese people speak just, you know, such good English, especially when you compare it to my my Japanese, which stops at the I can be polite level. There's my Japanese ending. Um, but it's still being really conscious, I think, that even though there can seem to be that understanding, some things still get lost in translation and then it's that being able to really understand where people are coming from and because I find that's probably the biggest the biggest thing for me is the politeness is so deeply ingrained in the Japanese culture. The last thing anybody want to, wants to say is that's a terrible idea. Well, why would you want to do that or it'll never work? Because everybody, does, they, they want to make sure you're not losing face. They want to say that's, that's a great idea. That's good. That's good. And you're like, well, can we do it? And then you're like, hello, hello, could could we do it? Um, so I think that's probably been been one of the biggest things is just yes. trying to figure out. You know, and that whole concept of Nimawashi, which I think, you know, we can do probably so much better here in New Zealand. I think we just tend to be a little bit, I'll go to a meeting and I'll have this idea and people will tell me if they like the idea or they don't like the idea. We're still pretty polite, to be fair. But I think that whole concept of Nimawashi and being able to actually go and speak to people to socialise your idea before you get to that meeting room table can just have some some real benefits in terms of being able to move things forward. Yeah, because how else would you otherwise know when you get to a meeting and it's, yeah, great idea, that's a good idea, and it's not, right? They're really thinking it's yeah. not. How have you got to the point where they've told you that that it's actually, yeah, we don't really like that? Is it just eventually come out with the lack of uh, movement on the idea that you proposed? How has it worked in that way for you so that you actually know that it's not a good idea? Because it is, you just pulled out a really great point that Japanese will probably not tell you exactly that they don't like something. That something is difficult is probably a common answer. But how have you yeah. managed all that? So I, I think I still keep my my kiwiness. So there was something, you know, we did it last year and I was kind of like, I think this is just going to be a no. And I just had to say, look, we, we've got to the point now. You just have to tell me, are we going to do this or, or can we not do it? And if we can't do it, that's okay. Right. But you, I gave some, you gave some ease yeah. there, right? If it was, mm. if it was a no, that's okay. Yeah. 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 So I think it's still keeping that kind of that kiwi directness to just say, Hmm. look we we need to either move or 
or not. But like you say, in that way, that's not adversarial and it's not right, father, you know, put up or shut up. It's actually, well, let, let's work through it. And is it something we need to look at in the future? Mm. And they're like, yes, the future. Yes, that's a great one, isn't it? The future. <laughs> future. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Japanese has a lot of that sort of uh, broad term, right? They sort of say there'll be a, someone will be here shortly or in yeah. mamonaku, right, in a little moment and you, or in a moment and you don't know how long that moment is. Yeah, there's quite a few of those sorts of terms in Japan. Yeah. We'll be back in touch in a moment. You think, mm, how long is that? Could be moment? a week, could be five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. yeah. But that yeah. indirectness helps. But it sounds like you've got that really well mastered with the indirectness, but directness just where you need it, but giving them a little bit of softness to land as well. And it's been, it's been so we have a new, uh, so we changed kind of direction a little bit last year. And we've still got one part of the business that's saying, well, you, your numbers have to be the same. You have to make the same revenue and the same operating profit. And I was like, well, I, I can't. And I think they they struggle with with that directness. But I think having met people face-to-face, -face, it helps because you can be, can be yourself a little bit more. And I said, I can't do it. I said, unless you want to help, unless you can help me to be successful, I can't be successful by myself. So you might need to, to fund ahead in New Zealand to help me drive sales and they said okay and I went okay. oh that was easy okay, okay. good <laughs> right, amazing that's an amazing yeah. thing that you said yeah you told I can't them be successful yeah, how can you myself. help me how yeah. can you help me yeah. so, I don't think we've got that one before Jane that is Have fantastic I'm getting so fantastic. chills hearing that this little story there <laughs> But they were probably grateful for you for shortcutting them to what it was that you would need in order to be successful and not having to go through 10,000 memos of, because uh, yeah, you just said, okay, yes, or you said hi, right, which is what your average Japanese yeah. person would probably say, hi, wakarimashita, yokai desu, I understand, I'm okay, it is done kind of thing. Oh, I've got to figure out how to be <laughs> successful now. Um, but you were just like, I can do this if you give me X. And if then you give like, me okay. this. Yeah. Well, that's completely logical, isn't it? But, and also just basic, but sometimes we don't even do that. That's a great learning. And we've wow. been pushing a lot of the, you know, you don't ask, you don't get type mentality. So we've got an innovation lab in our Wellington office. And well, we went, oh, you know, we want to do a big, amazing launch. We did in October last year. It's like, oh, surely, surely someone in Japan's got some marketing budget. They don't want to spend, you know, they haven't spent you. And so it was, it was actually, can you help fund it? And they were like, okay. I was like, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was quite a lengthy report that was required oh, at the of end. Course. But I, yeah. I can I can do that. And in the lab, yeah, we've got How did you use that. our money? Of course, mm. you yeah. should be accountable mm. to that. But, well, there you go, ask, right? Yeah. And you'll get. Well, you've taken your investment in working in a Japanese company in New Zealand quite a lot further by becoming a corporate sponsoring member, right, of the Japan New Zealand Business Council. How's that been for you? Has it made things different? You know, being at the conference last year, for example, and you spoke on stage as well in one of the plenary sessions. Has that made things different for you as your focus, as your presence in New Zealand as NEC? I probably don't do anywhere near as much as I as I should, but I think the benefit, you know, particularly in going to the conference, but just being connected in is is the connections that you make both here and in Japan, and, and just knowing that everybody's actually genuinely there to help you, right? Like there's there's a genuine want for people to succeed both here and in Japan, and you can just reach out to those people, as, and it's a great way to be able to introduce. We're both part of the JNZBC. It's a great introductory, that foot in the door, and then being able to build build on top of that so mm. really looking forward to you know to seeing some some old faces and some new friends when when we go to the conference mm. in november as well yeah it's this uncovers this vast network of supporters mm. of new zealand and japan that you just wouldn't know was there unless you actually go yeah. and you see and you hear these stories it's amazing what is going on in the background that people just don't know about fantastic so you've been at nec for almost three years now, yep. have there been any major changes in the way that NEC in New Zealand interacts with NEC in Japan? So last year, I should have checked that, but NEC, globally, NEC Japan have 
kind of realize that they can't be a Japan-centric company anymore. They can't sit in Japan and say, well, go forth, my my country affiliates, and and make us money, and we'll we'll sit here and we'll tell you what to do. They really want to be a truly global company. And so that's led right down from the CEO. So there's a lot more of a focus now on the country affiliates. There's, you know, 200 NEC companies around the world and, you know, nearly 60 countries. So there's there's a lot of brain power out there, right, and a lot of amazing ideas. So a real change in focus from Japan to be more inclusive and to actually say, hey, do you know what? You're just as important. So little old New Zealand down there in the in the bottom of the Pacific. Actually, we do want your ideas and you do do some amazing things and we do want you to be able to help set our strategy and decide what our solutions are going mm. to be as opposed to a, the previously being the other way and coming from Japan mm, mm, down. Yeah. So it's it's a really exciting time. It's it's a genuine intent. It's certainly it's still a learning curve, right? We are, and this is the, the transition year. It kicks in properly next year, but it's it's a massive, massive change. And the benefits are going to be huge. We just need to, it's, it's getting everybody on board, I think. And I think right. for Japan, it's such a big change. So you've got your C-suite all saying, this is amazing. This is such a good idea. Let's go and do it. Let's go. You've got your younger generation of of employees going, this is, this is exciting. This is cool. Let's go. But then you've got that kind of middle layer where it's just such a different way of working where they're like, that sounds great, but. How, how, how do I do, do we, it? How do I do it? Yeah. What do I do? Like, what Where's my manual for this? It's an important so. point, though. It's like a take for that announcement to be made that we want your input from all the different parts of mm. global offices to get to that has been a board decision and all the yeah. things that go on behind there. So when they actually come to that point and ask for your input, they really want it. Yes. And so it's really important as a New Zealand company then, for example, to actually give it. And I think the way that you're giving it is going to be important, but to do what they say when they've actually gone to that extent of asking for your input. For a small company, we're only 75 people at the moment. And I sit there and I think about, you know, the person who heads up our cloud services. We've got a global, uh, you know, people and culture new system that's being implemented. And I look at that and I look at our head of biometrics and I was like, because we've got a lot of opinions for a small company. None of us are backwards at coming forward. We all actually mm. take the we, and we, you know, sometimes you've just got to pretend that everybody's as on board as as they say that they are, right? So you just say, well, actually, we're all doing this. Mm. So let's and then you can just drive, you know, pull them along with your enthusiasm and your well, this is what we are now. We're a global company. Like let's this is what we said we're gonna do. So let's do it. And they're kind of like, yeah. Right. I've got no reason, got no reason not to. <laughs> okay, I'll just, I'll just go with the force of nature. That's one of many people in New Zealand that just push things right. along to, to, on to get done. I know there's a group of companies in Auckland, and the the heads of them. This is a group of Japanese companies mm. that get together. Is it still something that within with you and with others that you all get together as a Japanese companies in New Zealand sort of network? Not that I've been involved in. Uh, and I have decided that this year should be my my year of networking and being able to to get out there. Now I kind of feel like I'm doing know what I'm doing most days. Maybe um, invite them in, invite them over to your oh, place and see. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's it, especially for those that are based in Wellington, where we've got yeah. our lab. It's cool because there's things to touch and feel and you know play with, as opposed to just kind of saying, you know, our Auckland office is pretty pretty bland. I'd be like, come and sit in our boardroom. Yeah. It's got a mm. TV. <laughs> <It's amazing>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well we, by the time we see you at the jnzbc conference in november we we look forward to hearing about that one meeting you've had yes. we invited everybody to wellington and uh had a communication Maybe we across should pop into wellington and check out this well you should you're more than welcome you'd be up for that wouldn't you Catherine? <laughs> Indeed. Well, we do have the one big question we ask everybody, Mel, and you're going to get it right now, and that's your one nugget, your one absolute one gem of advice that you would say from your own experience now with being with NEC and working with Japan and with Japanese people in a Japanese company, something that would be really useful perhaps with other Kiwis who are thinking about business with Japan. Is there something that comes up for you? I think it goes back to what I was saying before. Like you don't want to lose 
your kiwiness and just that let's just get on and do it type of attitude it's obviously tempering it so that we're not quite as brash and and up front that's going to that's not going to help things you know that that whole don't ask don't get mentality that being able to to ask what you want with a smile right and then kind of giving people an out but not really but just being able to to keep on and not being afraid to ask for what it is that you want because I think there is that thing of oh it's it is hierarchical and you've got to ask the right person and you've got to and you've got to and you've got to sometimes it's actually about this going do you know what they're going to forgive me They'll say it's a gaijin, she doesn't know. And sometimes she doesn't, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I was supposed to ask that person. Oh, what about Now I know. <laughs> now I know. But since I've already asked you, keeping some of that, you know, that Kiwi way of, mm. of let, let's just get on and get it done and give it a go and see what happens. Right. As opposed That's to great. getting too caught up in, I must follow the right mm. process. Yeah, there's a real gem there, right, with the maybe asking someone by mistake, but kind of like I've asked you anyway, so being a bit cute cute about it. (laughs) It's much easier to ask forgiveness later. (laughs) Oh, good on you, Mel. I can see that you're you're making big steps in in this universe. They're lucky to have you you over there. Amazing. What what do you think it takes, though, for Kiwis? Is is it that? Is it more of that? Bring more of that energy to be successful when working with Japan? Is there some X factor that we've got as as Kiwis, as New Zealanders in that little country down in the South Pacific, as you said? I think we've got got the reputation, right, as as Kiwis in general of being the number eight wire and the innovators and good ideas. and, And I think it's just playing on that and going, actually, you know, New Zealand as a whole punches above its weight, whether it's sport or good ideas or science. We do those things really well. And so I guess just and you know, li- living that way, right? Just going, well, actually, this is who we are. We can do anything on the smell of an oily rag. We may not have, you know, million-dollar budgets to be able to spend on things, but we can still achieve great things. Initiative, isn't it? It's that yeah. initiative that Kiwis have that might yeah. be lacking in other places. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what are you seeing in Japan that is trending that you think, oh, I'd love to see more of that happening or somebody should do this. This would be a great idea <laughs> or business. Anything you're noticing? It's from your position um, in New Zealand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I look at, at the kind of NEC solutions and what we're doing, like some of the stuff we do over there in terms of ticketing and solutions. So there's stores now where you can pay, you know, pay with your iris, you can pay by your face. There's one of the stadiums in Tokyo where your iris can actually be your ticket. And that's yes, how you get I it. I was there the other day. Yes. yes. So you can pre-register your, when you're there, you pre-register. And then right. you can in and out having to, to show your ticket. And I think that type of stuff is is exciting because I'm quite an impatient person, right? So anything that cuts down my waiting time to do to do anything is right. always going to be. And I think that that's going to grow, but it, it comes back to you know what we talked about in terms of that self sovereign identity and people feeling comfortable that it's your data and you own it and you choose who to share it with, as opposed to this big brother organization who's now got all of your data. And they're going to potentially go and do nefarious things with it if that's what they choose to do. And I think the more that that becomes mainstream in places like Japan, it will then flow through, uh, which, yeah, I can't wait for. You know, and Miami Airport NEC technology lets you board your plane with your face. Wow. So, no, you know, there's always that person in front of you with their passports at, like, the bottom of their bag because they didn't know they needed it for an international flight. And then the boarding pass doesn't scan. All of that goes, you literally walk on a plane so all of that stuff yeah I was at um, Tokyo Dome recently and they had the iris scanning thing and I was like how does how do I get that because (laughs) I was like (laughs) my tickets and I've got my two kids with me and and I've been and I've been outside a concert it was for Maroon 5 right and people were melting down because they could not download their tickets from uh like because your tickets sort of was in two hours or something you could download it to get into the concert and the wi-fi could not handle what was the number of people trying to download their tickets this is to be like um environmentally friendly right so we're not printing a million tickets every day for this concert and yeah people couldn't get into the concert and luckily i 
downloaded my ticket like 20 minutes before and I had yeah. time for it to download and we got in smoothly. But the people around me were losing their minds because they're like, we're missing yeah. the concert. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't start. Like, yeah. like um, beating, beating on the on the poor little person who's letting wow. people in the gate. Yeah. So iris scanning technology could be um, an excellent option for everyone going to the Tokyo Dome and various other things in the near future. Yeah, whether it's your iris or your face, the more that the idea of it becomes mainstream, it just opens up so many more possibilities. You know, so we've got the technology we've got for biometrics, you can actually put into like wrist homes where it could actually look at Jane's gait and how she's walking and then Mm. go, actually, she's walking funny today mm, 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 mm. actually you know what? we're going to get the nurse she hasn't said anything we're going to get the nurse just to go and check because because she's not walking how she normally walks so the ability to mm. do that type of stuff just makes makes people's be mind mm. genuinely better but it's still that that mindset and i was thinking about it you know when you go and buy your bottle of wine from the supermarket here you have to be checked if you're over over 18 sadly i don't get asked very often anymore, but you're still going to have the person come and push the Someone button. Someone still right? comes, right? Mm. Yeah. Register and <laughs> yeah. someone is looking for it from a distance, saying, "Oh, yes, she's definitely not 18." Yeah. Yes. yeah. So you right. want to cut that step out somewhere? Yeah. So you can. It's so a you, job you that someone has to do. And again, you're choosing to share, right? Mm. Um, your information, and it doesn't say actually Catherine was born on this date and therefore she's over 18. It just says this person is over 18. And lets your transaction go through. So it's not sharing your personal data, but then, and but people still get upset, and it's something. Then you remind them that when they signed up for their loyalty card for their supermarket, they actually gave them their name, their date of birth, where they live. So Mm. you've already given them and all all your purchasing history as well. (laughs) (laughs) So people kind of, I think, it's just a mental thing. I think Mm. that that society will move forward with the more that we can show that it's safe and that it's secure and that it's not exactly. not just big brother running off with when you date a birth them. I mean you look at all the data breaches now, right? It's mm. happens without biometrics being involved. Right. Well, what's coming up for you? Are there any activities or promotions that you're doing? Or are you planning to come to Japan before we see you again in November at the JNZBC conference? So probably not Japan this year. We've got a lot going on. Uh, there's a few contracts that will come out in the next little while on on LinkedIn and such like. But, yeah, certainly, you know, for people that are in Wellington or visiting Wellington, the biometrics lab that we've got, if you've got an interest and you want to ask those questions in a safe place, you know, you're not in this big crowd of 300 where you don't want to ask a question and people are like, oh, that was a dumb question. Um, <laughs> you don't you can know. Ask, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that already. Um <laughs> You can, yeah, you can, yeah, more than welcome to to come in and have a look and I'll give you the high level view, but we've got some amazing guys there that can take you right through through all of it. You know, some of the work we've done with police, uh, we've got a face pay vending machine. Mm. So, you know, so if you're at the gym and you don't have your, don't have your money with you because you're at the gym, uh, you can just go and get your protein shake out of the vending machine using your face. So some really cool things that you can actually, actually play with and touch and yeah, like I said, ask you ask you dumb questions without feeling that you're going to be judged judged mm. for it mm. that's awesome sounds good i'll clear my conflicts check beforehand <laughs> with certain other company and yeah uh, they might we, not we let can, you in the front door attend. there Catherine. they yeah. may not i might have to be like <laughs> blindfolded <laughs> then none of it will work but yeah we'll, we'll get over that bit and see what happens congratulations mm. on all you're doing between New Zealand and Japan. And thanks for letting us know so much about your journey to where you are now. We look forward to seeing you even go further and further as you continue in your business there. Thank you so much. Oh, all right. Lovely to see you both. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. What an awesome Jando Mel is. Great to have her on the show sharing her gold nuggets of working in a Japanese organization in New Zealand that is very much still connected with Japan. Very much. We need to get her a t-shirt. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Put that on there, right? My advice for working in Japan. Well, awesome. Absolutely it works awesome. in Japan. Like I'm just thinking of every time my significant other has had a career challenge in his company, he's just asked and they've gone, okay, we'll figure something out for you. 
good. Yeah. He's got it in the end. I mean, how can they write, actually read you what's inside your brain? They've been, it's pretty basic, actually, if we think about it, that you ask for what you need or want Mm, because they're not going to interpret what you need and what you want and is necessary for you to do your job. So it makes sense. Mm. And also not having actually saying yes. And that was that when she was told, oh, we want this to be a success. And she's like, well, no, it's not going to be a success unless you help me. But this is what I would need if, you know, you want it to be a success. And they were like, ah, okay, great. Penny drop. Oh, my goodness. That was just gold. That was gold. Thank you for that, Mel. Oh, my goodness. And I loved how she just had really good observations, of course, when she was here about Mm. hierarchy, but also just they're giving her a little bit of kiwiness and just sort of going around the corners of some hierarchy and asking for forgiveness later. That was quite cute, Mm. I'd say. Yeah, it works though, right? And it helps Mm. the organization in the end because she wants what's best for them and for NEC, right? And they want what's best and they've helped in the way that was best for her, which is really great. Yeah, ask for what you want with a smile and give people an out. I thought that was also Mm. um, excellent advice that she gave to us. Yeah, because you're and not going to get that clear no, are you, necessarily. No, not. It, it, yeah. they, they really don't want to say no to you. That's right. <laughs> and to the point I was building on in there too, we talked a little bit about you know them asking from head office ideas, solutions, strategies that work or that you're working on that Japan wants. So tell us. So if you're given that invitation, just take it up and actually do come through with some ideas and information because Japan doesn't know everything. New Zealand doesn't know everything. Mm. Let's exchange. And that's all what it's all about, right? Little bits of what you do, right? And a piece of a process. It might be one piece that's yeah. really excellent for Japan to know about. Yeah. Mm. It's exciting to see that they're moving, not moving, well, maybe they are moving away from recreating a Japanese company in New Zealand and expecting it to be a success. And I hope that New Zealand companies coming to Japan will take note of that and be like, wow, we cannot just pick up our company and and start a new office in Japan and expect it to be a success. There's got to be some give and take here and learning from each other. You're going to come out with something better. Like people often ask me, would you live in Japan or New Zealand? And I'm like, no, don't make me choose because combined, it would be a kind of utopia country, right? If we could combine Japan and New Zealand. So an organization that combines Japan and New Zealand, what kind of amazing organization could that be? Yeah, absolutely. So don't lose your kiwiness, temper it. Don't lose your Japanese-ness, temper it as well, or bring it up. Whatever it is, just both of them coming together is amazing. Meet in the the Venn diagram yeah. of another country. What's it going to be called, and <laughs> how many islands will it Where have? Can we set this Think up? about yeah. that. <laughs> awesome! I loved that episode. I hope it's been really fun for everybody listening as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Mel, for coming on the show today. And we have one more wonderful jandal coming to you before our summer break. We're going to enjoy our summer break, aren't we, Catherine? Even if it we is are. very, very hot here in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, already extremely hot. So, yep, we're going to bring you another one and then let you have a bit of a summer break like we will too. Mm. See you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell-Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!